Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Everyone, it's Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks for tuning in again for Authentic Living with Roxanne. So today I have a colleague, Neha Chatwani, has, who has graciously uh, given us some time uh, to come and spend with us. So Neha, thanks for coming uh, to chat with us today. It's a great pleasure to be here, Roxanne. Thanks so much for having me. So Neha is uh, an organizational psychologist, and I'm, I'm fascinated um, with the kind of work that she does and she her title I would say which I love and which I'd like to chat a little bit more is workplace atelier uh, she works um, on generally with startups and nonprofits, um, and she's the author of organizational agility which I'd again like to chat a little bit more about that book she does um, some guest uh, editing with uh, the Peter Drucker global forum and also with Forbes. So quite a quite a fascinating um, cross section of things that you do. Neha. So, so tell us about this term, workplace atelier. Where, where did you come up first? How creative is that? I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever really been asked that question. And um, it begs for a fascinating story, which I'm going to share with you. And this is, I think, uh, a first time. So many, many years ago, um, no, let me start even before that. So when I chose to study psychology, I actually wanted to practice psychology as a psychologist. And I did a lot of uh, practical work, um, also in psychiatry at the time. And I realized that I didn't think I was strong enough to work with um, cases of abnormal sicknesses. And I wanted to work with regular folk because I thought, well, regular people need support too. And I was already at that time, and this is quite a while ago, so 20 plus years ago, focusing on industrial and organizational psychology, which I think in Europe was still rather underdeveloped. Um, it was definitely getting, getting more traction in the Anglo-Saxon world. And I thought to myself, well, you know, regular folk who work also need to feel enabled and supported, and they have their ups and downs, and it's good for them to have that kind of mental health sparring partner but there wasn't really place for that. And uh, I ended up going into a career in HR. And while I was quite successful in what I was doing, I kept remembering that my real aspiration was to work as a self-employed independent person and not in an organization. And one of the things I did to um, reconnect with my roots in psychology was I started studying dance therapy. And one of the sessions in dance therapy, we were asked to um, draw a picture of our, 
our not favorite, but our desirable visionary workplace. And I drew a picture of a beautiful little house by the sea. The sun was shining and there were palm trees. I mean, I'm not much of an artist, so this was very much like a, a children's drawing, right? With crayons and the rest of that. Um, and several years later, I actually decided for myself that I was going to take that leap and become an independent person with my own business and my own best boss, I think. And I was looking for a venue. Um, and I actually ran into a venue that wasn't a hut by the sea because Austria, where I'm based, doesn't have a sea. But it was a very cute, quaint little um chalet in the middle of a courtyard of an old building and it resonated with me in the same way that that picture that I had drawn for myself resonated with me so though you know and I never thought that I would have an opportunity to purchase that place and I actually did I purchased it within a weekend right because that was such a strong pull and when I was there I kept thinking you know, the workplace is where we spend most of our lives, right? We spend so much time working. It doesn't matter how you define the workplace. And I think people innately have the need to be creative and express themselves and deliver outcomes, to use the management language. We are creative beings. We like to work. We need to work. I don't think we're lazy. We're learning beings, right? And I thought to myself, it's a, a creative process that often gets suppressed in a conventional employment or definition of work. Why can't I gauge into that idea and energy and passion and call the services that I hope um, enable and support people to be the best they can be at their workplace, the workplace atelier? that creative space that we all have within us to learn, uh, the bricolage that we have, which means using all of the strengths that we have and pivoting them for different things that we need to do in life. And I think we all have that within us. Hence, the workplace atelier was born. Long story. But um, it has many levels of meaning for me. Well, I, I love it because I, I think you're, Ultimately, I think we want to be connected to ourselves mm -hmm. to bring, bring the best versions of ourselves to work, which fosters everything from creativity to innovation, um, you know, to cohesion and connectedness, right? Which are, which are all the elements. If you think about atelier, it's, it's that space where you get to be colorful and um, pull on lots of different things to be able to to tap into that space. So I, I think it's a, it's a really nice version of what ultimately I think a lot of workplaces that get it would understand the core elements of what it is to help employees uh, bring their best versions or tap into the best versions of themselves at work. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so many companies are talking about innovation, right? Um, as they're cutting edge uh, strategy moving forward. And that has so much to do with being creative and learning and bringing your whole self to work and sharing that wisdom and knowledge. So let's talk a little, let's talk, just talk about um, creativity and 
as an organizational psychologist, you've obviously you're in within organizations. And when someone is reaching out to you, are they are they already creative or are they maybe addressing more, I would say, crisis-oriented issues that allows you an inroads that might eventually introduce the 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 possibility of creativity? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Roxanne. I, I think we we both know as colleagues in a similar field that that people tend to reach out when there is a crisis situation. And um, but happily, that's not the only reason people reach out. So I would still say a majority of folks will reach out when there's a crisis. And many of them will say to me, I'm so sorry we didn't reach out before because we've gone through painful phases which we may have been able to avoid. But I am beginning to see that there is a trend of people who and companies uh, and leaders who are beginning to engage with me as an organizational psychologist as a format for learning. So where there is um, maybe a trigger that calls for, can we bring in somebody who has a different viewpoint, um, a different lens, uh, who might be able to shed a different light on this issue, subject, idea that we want to put forward? Uh, can we engage with somebody outside of the organization for this? And then sometimes I am approached um, in that vein, which mm. is a very different kind of a function. So let me give you an example. Very recently, I was asked to participate in a diversity audit in an international setting. And it was the very first time that they brought in not only experts and auditors, but a psychologist as well to understand more deeply why some of the measures were not kicking in the way mm. they had been expected to. Now that's a fascinating arena, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And, like it's yeah. like a, so, at, at that point, it's like a playground, isn't it? Like absolutely. not because not only are you, you know you know we're not looking at keep just at KPIs. What are the key performance indicators that would tell us why diversity and inclusion uh, protocols or or um, things that you put in place haven't worked? But to me, it's getting at the root cause organizationally of what. You know, gone are the days, like you said, if you're brought in, hey, let's do a change management day, let's do some stress management training. But, you know, which I often say, yeah, it might be a nice to have periodically, but are you getting right down into what are the true fundamental needs of, say, a subset of a unit or the culture? Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're not really getting down. So in that way, I'm thinking, how progressive yeah, I that was an amazing, uh, an amazing project. And I think you're so right. I think it's so much about getting down to the assumptions we make, the mindset we have. I work with some amazing leaders who are very successful and um, they periodically uh, seek out coaching, as you know, as well, even without there being a crisis in order to reflect and I think that's a key word here, right? To reflect on their attitudes and their mindsets and the assumptions they're making in order to gain more wisdom and knowledge about other ways of doing things that they need to do, other approaches. And I, I also work with some fantastically intelligent people who sometimes 
cannot grapple, that they're unable to deal with their team and the conflicts and communication issues in their team. And this is because they have convinced themselves that there is a certain way of managing people and there's a certain way they need to be as leaders and have forgotten to explore other avenues in this and have not given themselves the space to do so. Right. And when you start to untie some of those assumptions, you know, amazing things emerge in conversations and, you know, massive ahas. And these are highly intelligent people who are absolutely able. It's just giving them the space to have that conversation uh, and to have that learning opportunity. So. Well, it's interesting that you said that. So obviously, as me coming from, you know, the clinical end, but also working organizationally for over 20 years. So when I wrote this new book that I'm launching, which is launching uh, this uh, week, what I did is I created um, an assessment called the AQL, which is basically the authenticity quotient for leaders, because I wanted them to really drill down into the core fundamentals of why they lead the way they lead in five areas, recognition, connection, communication, you know, balance processing, Uh, all those areas, because then what is your perception of yourself in those areas? But then ultimately, how are the people around you perceiving you um, from their lens? And then collating uh, from the assessment with the leader, how what's his benchmark or her benchmark compared to what the team's benchmark individually and collectively are of them? And talk about a, a snapshot where they're able to look and say, wow, I thought I was really good at connection. But in fact, 75% of my team is saying I'm not so good. And where, where, why does the disparity exist? And then ultimately we create plans for them to be able to progress along. Um, so reflection is very, very key um, to your point uh, that you shared earlier. Absolutely, Roxanne. And I'm looking forward to uh, to reading your book when we finally get our hands on it. And uh, I, I, you know, I think it all goes back to that question that one of, well, one of our management gurus, uh, I think, and it was also the title of a Harvard Business article, why would anybody want to be led by you, right? It's it's a question I think that leaders do need to reflect on um, and periodically, right? It's not one of those things where you just tick the box and then move on and, and do things for another 20 years the way you've always done them. I think the other challenge we have is that the context we are working and living in is changing rapidly and quite dramatically in some places uh, through the introduction of technology and and all the other things that are happening in our environment. You know, we've migrated from VUCA to, I think it's called BANI now, so. BANI, okay, I've not. BANI, and there's the word anxiety in that, uh, which is, well, which, which, by the way, Roxanne, is is equally interesting for you to investigate, I think. So, um, yeah, the world is becoming a very, um, very complex place. And the workplace reflects that, too. Absolutely. So that, uh, when you say that, is it Vani? V-A-N-I? No, Vani. It's B-A-N-I. B-A-N-I. Okay. And. I, I don't know enough about that to speak about it. Is that something you you know a lot about the acronym and what it stands for? Oh no, absolutely not. I've just uh, I've just been uh, 
told that VUCA is out and we're now looking at Bani and Bani means, and I'm going to have to check it for you okay. uh, myself, but Bani means brittle, anxious, non-linear and incomprehensible. Wow. Which and is kind of the that word. Really hits, that it really hits the nerve of where we are organizationally, isn't it? On a, on a macro and a micro level to some degree with everything that we've been through. Now, clearly, I would say, and when I, I when I, you know, deal with leaders, I go to, you know, um, how do they connect, and what are, are their adult attachment styles? I get in, I drill right down into who they are and how they connect, and you know, what is that leadership story like? What is your story? And I share my story about my dad um, and his leadership story because, of course, it was very impactful for me. So I really try to resonate with that leader to say, you know, you didn't just get here. <laughs> there mm -hmm. were steps. And like to your point, why you? Well, there's a definite story behind the why you and why you lead the way you do to really have them start to think about it. And it's pretty impressive, I, I would say, Neha, that most people are like, yeah, you know what? I hadn't thought about this. Mm -hmm. I value this. And so therefore, you know what? It, it, it kind of migrates through everything that I, how I interact and how I connect and all those things. And, uh, you know, I think leaders of today, uh, I think more than say 20, 25 years ago, when I started in corporate, they're more likely to say, yes, I may be disposed to be this way, but I'm recognizing that I have to be more like this and this. And I'm not so good at this, Roxanne. I'm, I'm, I'm straight up with you. I'm that's not, you know, I'm like, if they're not wired at me, it's hard for me sometimes but I'm willing to listen to try to think about how I could be slow myself to understand the needs and eventually develop the skill, hopefully with time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know where we got lost in that leadership journey when we decided leaders were experts and have forgotten that they leaders is about service. Leadership is about service and it's also about learning reflecting and a certain amount of humbleness. I think at one point we diverted from that idea to the idea that leaders are supposed to be experts. And in the complex world we have today, it's virtually impossible for a single person to manage or handle um, the multifaceted challenges and issues that face us. So um, you've probably read on my profile that I actually uh, was the editor of a Palgrave volume on distributed leadership. Right. And that is what I am looking at more and more. And this also links to um, agility, right? Because it's about um, being able to leverage the talent you have in order to achieve or manage situations and outcomes that you aspire to. And distributed leadership doesn't mean everybody's a leader in a conventional sense. We still require uh, people who are going to manage the situations and, um, and uh, create the constellations needed for outcomes. But it does mean that the way you look at your resources and the way you look at people you are collaborating with has more of an element of co-creation rather than an element of command and control, right? 
And in the same way, you also um, appreciate the individual as an accountable learning individual who has something to contribute and you're creating that space for them to be able to contribute and to share their knowledge for greater wisdom. So I often say, you know, and this is less philosophical, it's a bit like a football team, right? A soccer team for the North Americans who obviously have a captain and everybody has their roles, but everybody's allowed to shoot a goal, right? Because that's the whole point of the game, right? Um, so there's nothing saying only the captain has to shoot the goal or the goal or, you know, the defense players only play defense. No, they've all got a common purpose. They've still got their different roles and their different strengths, uh, but they're all in it together. And um, this is what distributed leadership is all about. And I think we are slowly migrating to a place where this is perhaps um more valuable and certainly takes the pressure off this singular idea of a leader uh, and emphasizes the social relations uh, in teams and in leadership and breaks down some of that silo thinking. So it's a new century, Roxanne. And I think, you know, it's time to question even the assumptions we make about leaders in general and their role. And Which I think, you know, for the leaders um, that I work with, or talk to it, you know, oftentimes it's awful lonely at the top, right? And they feel such pressure to keep it all together. But this uh, distributed leadership, I like that concept. I talk a little bit about affinity and alignment, but mm -hmm. this kind of almost takes it at a microscopic level to say, okay, well, if Roxanne has the skill to do X, Y, Z, it's okay that she proceeds up and, and inflects the entire environment because at that time, I may be leading for a bit and, and the leader may be on my team or vice versa. So what a kind of nice um, synergistic flow that would create, right? Because, you know, I think on, on my teams um, with my business, there's so many things I'm not good at. Neha, that I mean, if I, if I had to do them, I would fail horribly. And, um, you know, and I often say to them, if, if I think I'm doing something really, really well, and I'm doing poorly at me. We have that level of trust for them to say, I don't, I don't, I think we should take you off that. And, mm -hmm. and then, oh, okay, sure. Why? Because it's, it, you know, I may have done things that they had to redo that they would have done in the past behind the scenes to save face for me. And I'm like, no, that I, I hire you because for, I believe in your capacity to help me um, understand what my role is. So I think I love that approach because you know, when I was an executive 25 years ago, I had a team around me and I would often say to them, whoever it was, um, help me understand how I could get better. And, right. you know, at that time in my corporate structure, I did not get good feedback about that because mm -hmm. they felt that I was being uh, shoulder to shoulder with my team. And I'm like, well, this is how I lead. I, I, just, I don't know literally, you know, how to lead any better because to me that made me feel more connected to everyone. Mm -hmm. And when people were connected, they seemed to, you know, ha have a better flow with things. But 25 years ago, it was like, no, 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 you're the executive. You lead this team. We need mm -hmm. for you to be giving direct messages. So I was, you know, running oftentimes bumping up against things that I didn't feel very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I, I can really appreciate that. I think that sense of leadership comes from, 
First World War, where people were leaping out of trenches, right? The captains were leaping out of the trenches and everybody was expected to follow. Um, I'm not sure. I think nowadays we also talk about followership, right? And what that really means. You know, how, how are people effective followers? That's really fascinating that we're actually talking about that in, in management literature now too. Uh, definitely, you know, the whole idea of 360 broke down the idea of these pyramids, right? Where, where you're supposed to know everything. And I, and I, and I believe that today, good leadership is about a conversation. It's a conversation. It's a co-creation. It's an engagement. And it's, it's quite worrying. I mean, if we were to take this out of organizations in, in a political space, you know, the detachment of citizens towards their governments and leaders that they have elected is quite daunting, right? And this shows that the conversation has simply broken down and also the sense of the lack of service, right? Which is what leadership is about. So quite happy that's changed, Roxanne. I don't think anybody would would reprimand you for for taking that sense today. Well, I was I was reprimanded back then, but now in retrospect, I said, I, I often go back to what is my leadership? I said, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago in a little village with a very extended family who were friends and friends and neighbors who became like family. And I, I would I would say I was literally raised by the village because it was small and connected. And um, that's that's who I am as a person. That's where I live here in Niagara Falls, I live in a little village again, and my connections are still small and very tight. So I think, you know, out of me came that element that I wanted to create that around me as well. Um, but when I ended up in the corporate structure, I was like, okay, I'm bumping up here. They're not wanting this, um, what the space that I felt comfortable with. Um, I managed as effectively as possible, but now within those structures, it would be different. Um, I would hope a lot different than uh, say 25 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely moved on, but I still think that corporate corporate structures are are still rather restrictive, right? There is a sort of this mainstream idea and and I and I challenge that. I even challenge the idea whether there needs to be corporate culture that sort of ties everybody in um and whether there isn't a better way to to weave people to contribute um their knowledge and create further knowledge, right? That's the idea. Nobody, I mean, knowledge is not something you hold on to. Wisdom is not something you hold on to. It's only when you share it that it actually grows. Um, otherwise you kind of, um, you can't nurture it and it's not something that's so tangible. So, you know, I can think I'm brilliant if I'm, you know, talking absolute rubbish that makes no sense to anybody else, but only to me, that's not really knowledge. There's there's an element of social relation when it comes to these to these things. So um, hence, even more important that there is co-creation. Right? And this leads to innovation. This leads right. to agility. And I think that the corporate kind of mission vision, you know, kind of, you know, what what why why did the company come about? I get that. But mm. to have these structures, the corollaries mm. and the, the norms, what I hear, and I, I love this, that you're talking about this, is like, why not have that be almost like wisdom circles where people identify collectively to inflect how that mission or vision should go versus it being from the top down, right? Kind of corporate governance and, okay, we 
regulatory bodies, that's different when there's compliance, all those things. We get that. That's a different conversation and certain things have to be in place. But I love, you know, if we almost think like wisdom circles, that's just came to my mind now, which is what you're saying. And that it be um, those moving concentric circles within an organization where people Absolutely. are openly sharing their wisdom. You know, that might, the, the, the things that you might come up with would be so powerful that, you know, it wouldn't be the vision or the mission that's kind of in the front hallway as you enter into the corporate environment. It would be a working, living space that people would come from. Yes. I mean, I think you still may have a vision because that would be like, you know, what is this organization here for, like in general terms? But certainly your strategic plans that are, you know, neatly put onto pieces of paper and then put into some drawer somewhere in your KPI tables and all the other stuff you do, that stuff doesn't get looked at again, you know, once a year, somebody looks at this and says, okay, we managed, we didn't manage, whatever. That is just so unreal because the world we're in is just so dynamic. So I love the wisdom, wisdom circles. You see, we've developed an idea just through this conversation. Like I wouldn't have labeled it as such, but you've taken this something triggered, right? And you've taken it and developed this whole concept. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. And this is exactly what agility is. And behind all of my thinking is the fact that we have, um, we have caged ourselves in so many management concepts, you know, be it KPIs or, you know, who developed the idea that we can motivate somebody. That's yeah. actually nonsense. We can't motivate people. We've reduced people to Pavlov's dogs. We think, you know, I give you a promotion, that's going to keep you going for another year or so. It right. doesn't work that way. If you're not motivated yourself, I can do very little from the outside to motivate you. So there's something very intrinsic about the conversations. I can engage with you and hope that I can uh, trigger passion or an idea or something by sharing my own. But I can't really motivate you. I mean, it's just, so there's so much in management theory that really needs to be looked at again. And maybe it was, was wonderful in the 20th century and in the 1970s and so on, because the economy was a very industrial linear uh, reflection uh, of these thoughts. But I think today, um, it would be very, very difficult to imitate this thinking and be successful going ahead. And, and how I many corporations are still running by that, though? Like, I mean, if you think about it, we can have these conversations and you're in organizations and so am I, and we're hearing it, right? Um, to your point, it, it, it's not industrial, it's not linear, right? It's deep. We need to de-stratify and and the silo, the deep, you know, de-silo, I'm going to say, truly to reach people where they're at. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we're coming along, but I think a lot more work has to continue along these lines to meet people where they are. There's a lot of pain in organizations too, which nobody wants to talk about. And I think that even though we can argue that there are many um, corporations that still work in this way, we shouldn't forget that even dinosaurs have failed. I mean, I can think of a, a whole series of companies that I have seen fail in the last 20 years that we may have thought, you know, that would not have been possible. There were, I think of the IT world, there was a company called DEC that failed. 
or compact, or there are a number of companies that have not succeeded, right? And they were at one point very rich, powerful companies. So there's nothing saying that just being large and doing what you've always done is going to take you forward. Um, so I I do actually feel that many companies are are looking, many organizations are looking um, at different ways and are happy to experiment um, with different methods and tools. The interesting thing for me sometimes is that even in the startup world, there's a lot of imitation of old school management because mm -hmm. they grapple to set up something new and they also need to be challenged. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I yeah, guess there's there's so much new that they were maybe trying to find some structure so that they're going back to the old. Yeah. Now with with working, let's say, you know, if if some leaders are listening and they're thinking, oh, this, you know, ladies, this sounds like a nice conversation. And um I do some of it, but I'm I'm not really even sure where to begin what might be a couple of points that you would want them to reflect on as they think about making some of the decisions um, to lead in a different way mm -hmm. so are you talking now at, for, for the company or are you talking about a leader as such let's say that you know the person that has the power to run the company okay um, the leader yeah. senior leadership team mm -hmm. so i think one thing um that is daunting, but also very revealing oftentimes is to sit down and think about things that happen in the organization and clearly associate it with the purpose and the outcome that you seek to achieve. And if it is not contributing towards that, or if you cannot clearly say how it's contributing towards that, then it's probably something that needs to be reconsidered. Okay. Okay. So that goes back to, I think, the the story that we all know. We don't know whether that really happened or not, but it, you, you probably know this one, um, Roxanne, uh, JFK going off to NASA where he meets the janitor and basically says, what, you know, what do you do around here? And the janitor says, sir, I helped put a man on the moon, right? So the association, you know, that that janitor has for the work that he does towards the larger mission. If you cannot identify in your organization um, all the tasks that make a clear contribution and how they make a contribution, you, you should be reshuffling the work and the expertise. It's kind of sometimes a very sore exercise because we realize we do a lot of stuff that is not very meaningful and does not contribute to outcome. That's the one thing. The other thing for individual leaders that I think is a powerful exercise is to sometimes reflect on a situation um, where you've responded or solved it um, and also successfully. So not something that's gone wrong necessarily. And think of a second way you could have done it. Hmm. So I don't, I don't have such a big focus on things that don't work and, you know, weaknesses and failures and things. I have more the focus on, like, you've done well. How else do you think you could have done well? Like, is there another way of doing this? And testing your own mind in that process. So those are two, two big tips, I think, one for an individual base and one for an organizational base. 
What, what, what amazing tips. I love that, you know, that how much um, redundancy might you come up with as well when you look at the individual roles? Because to your point, if, if I don't think I matter and my role, my role may be very important, but that disconnection from feeling like I matter impacts, impacts my world and then it impacts everybody around me. So even that exercise would be amazing for an organization yeah. to look at because it really would help them understand and who are the golden boys and who are the ones that do all the quiet work that doesn't get recognition, lots of lots of pieces then. And then you aggregate all of that and could look at that really and see, um, you know, see the overall, I would say, st structure of the uh, culture. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that could be put in performance appraisals if you still want to do a performance appraisal, right? And that would be the biggest motivator for any individual to be able to say, you know, this is how I've contributed to the greater mission. Because how many of us join fabulous organizations because we think they're fabulous and we're really engaged by what they do in the world? And then all of a sudden feel, okay, but this is actually not what I was expecting to do or see inside these organizations. So that would, you know, create that stronger link. And then you don't need to have all kinds of other motivational rewards and whatnot, because people are there because they want to be there and they want to make a contribution. In that vein, I also think organizations spend much too much time creating all kinds of controlling policies. And uh, I, I don't know, why, why do we hire people we don't trust? I, I don't understand that. Why, why would we do that, right? It doesn't make any sense. So here again, um, yeah, there are many more things I could share, Roxanne, but I don't want to, I don't want to hijack um, the next hour doing so. <laughs> well, this, this has been amazing. So Neha, for anyone in listening that, um, are interested in your work or getting a hold of you um, for in the different ways that you work, where, where can they get a hold of you? Um, so obviously I have a LinkedIn profile, but also my website allows people to get in touch through a contact form. So that's um, the workplaceatelier.com. Obviously the www goes before that. Um, and that would really be the best way or otherwise please feel free to link with me on LinkedIn. Um, it would be a great, great pleasure and honor to link with as many people as possible and um, spar some of these ideas. Well, thank you. So what am I walking away with? Um, conscious connected conversations and looking at people's roles and how they matter in reference to outcomes. I think that's, I mean you know, kind of hit home for me, like that type of leadership would be amazing if you could do um, the type of leadership, and I'm going to forget the name of it right now, you called it divisional, no distributed leadership as well. Sorry, distributed leadership. I, I, I think that's something that I'd love, love to learn more about and hear more about in the literature as we go. I think that's very, very important. So that's what I'm taking away. I hope you're taking away a lot more. Let us know. Please write a review for us on iTunes. Um, we would love to hear what uh, feedback for Neha as well. And for me, what's happening, um, I'm launching this book, 
on Saturday, June 10th. Uh, please, uh, if you're in uh, the area in Niagara, come visit. If not, we're doing one on June 27th. You can, regardless of where you're in the world, you can tap in. Just let us know. We'll put you on the list and make sure you can get there. And um, thanks for hanging out with us again, Niha. And for everyone, um, I am always feel very blessed that you take the time every single Thursday uh, to tune in and hear what uh, we're, we're talking about uh, on leadership. Take care, and we'll talk to everybody soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.